This week's TribCast is sponsored by Methodist Healthcare Ministries is committed to health equity, striving to create more fair and just opportunities for all to thrive. Learn more at mhm.org. And Texas Women's University is focused on making Texas healthier, offering more than 80 health-related degree programs from nursing and physical therapy to kinesiology and nutrition science. Learn more at twu.edu health. Hello and welcome to the Texas Tribune TripCast for October 7th, 2022. We are exactly one month and one day out from the 2022 midterm elections. And this week we're going to talk about voting. Uh, here's the situation I want to lay out for you. This, this will be the first general election since SB1 was passed by the Texas legislature. And that bill, of course, added new restrictions to voting, including stricter requirements for voting by mail. We've had one kind of voting time since then, or one big one at least, in the 2022 primaries. During that time, one out of every eight mail-in ballots was rejected. That's compared to around one in 50 that were rejected in 2020. Now we're entering a general election, which will include likely a lot more low information voters and election workers around the state are kind of working to prepare this. They're working long hours trying to educate voters, but also dealing with the skeptical public and harassment from election deniers. A full 30% of Texas election workers have left their jobs since 2022. Many of those deniers are spurred on by Texas' top leaders. The state's attorney general actively sought to overturn the 2020 election results, uh, presidential election results at least. More recently, he organized a showing of the debunked conspiracy theory film, 2000 Mules, to his staff. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and Ag Commissioner Sid Miller have also promoted the film, which was screened three times at the state GOP convention this year. So basically, we're in a situation where elderly, disabled voters, other voters who might not be able to make it to the polls could be worried about their votes being counted. Meanwhile, we have many Republicans worried about the trustworthiness of elections in general, in some cases spreading lies about voter fraud around the country and in the state. And you have... On the other hand, state election officials who said the 2020 elections in Texas went smoothly and audits of county results locally have so far shown few, if any, problems. So I set that all up to kind of build this podcast around the question, how worried should we be about 2022? I'm Matthew Watkins, Managing Editor of News and Politics for the Texas Tribune. And this week we are joined by our East Texas reporter, Pooja Saholtra. Hey, Pooja. Hey, Matthew. Our de- demographics reporter, Alexa Ura. Hello. Hey, Alexa. Happy four days until the registration deadline. It doesn't Woo-hoo. quite work as a holiday, but I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm doing it. <laughs> Indeed. And our democracy reporter, Rob Downen. Hey, Rob. How you guys doing? Great. I just realized how close the uh, Alexa and Rob's titles sound. I kind of stumbled over that as I went in there. All right. So Pooja, I want to start with you here. I mean, you spent this week uh, or or some time leading up to this week reporting a great story about kind of the day-to-day lives of county election workers, including many in the region that you cover. Um, I want to go back to that question, how worried should we be, and ask you, basically, what is the sense you're getting from these election workers? How worried or stressed are they headed into this 2022 election? 
Um, yeah, thanks, Matthew. I think that the overall sense I got talking to several election administrators across the state, including in East Texas, um, is, you know, in some ways they're, they feel better prepared for this election than they did for the March primary, where it was, you know, really the first time uh, some of these new laws were going into effect. Um, but they are expecting much higher turnouts this year and um, expecting to face some of the same issues around mail-in ballots. You know, the rejection rates were really high in the primary and, um, you know, some of this, the people who uh, are going to be coming out to vote in November didn't vote that first time around in, in during the primary. So they're going to be seeing these new ballots, which just require um, a new level of just kind of attention when filling out the paperwork. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of the overall sense that I got. People there, they feel more prepared, but still a bit stressed. Yeah, Alexa, talk to us a little bit about those requirements. I mean, you've been covering this, you covered this in the, the 2022 primaries. What is it that makes it harder about the mail-in ballots this time compared to, you know, prior to SB every other passing. election <laughs> yeah so the the new requirement that sort of wreaked havoc on the primary election for a lot of voters were these new ID requirements on both your application to request a mail-in ballot and the actual ballot that voters were trying to return uh, voters now had to include their driver's license if they didn't have that their social security number if they didn't have that, they had to sort of mark a box and say they didn't have either number. The problem was that those numbers had to match what was on a voter's registration record. You really only need to provide one when you are registering. And so there were often mismatches. Someone would include their driver's license number on their ballot. When they registered to vote, they had registered with their social security number. And so those numbers weren't aligning. But really, there were also just a lot of folks who missed the new requirements entirely. And so they were leaving these new uh, entries blank on their applications and on their ballots. Election administrators had very, very little time uh, to sort of even do any sort of outreach about this new, these new requirements and felt constrained by some new language in the election code that was added through Senate Bill 1 about how they could even promote vote by mail. I mean, it was for the primary it was really sort of a flurry of new requirements in a short amount of time because this bill was passed in the fall. I think folks have had a lot, have had more time to hopefully prepare for this. But as Pooja mentioned, we're going into a general that is going to have increased turnout compared to this primary. And we're going to have a lot of folks who are going to be confronting this for the first time, really. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the, the there's kind of conflicting uh, influences here that, as you mentioned, more time to educate, more time to get the word out. But on the other hand, you know, as we get past, you know, the, the 2021 legislative session, it's a series of elections where the kind of knowledge of the voters tends to decrease, knowledge of the average voter tends to kind of decrease with each one. Primary tend to be fairly high information voters. Then you get to the general election, maybe a little bit less so. It's still a midterm. So, you know, it's not that broad turnout as a as in a presidential race, but still, you know, I guess the big test will be, um, you know, do these, are, are there going to be a lot of voters who may never have even heard of SB1 uh, prior to 
prior to showing up for the polls. Well, and I'm not, you know, this, we used to make this distinction between midterm and, and presidential year turnout. But if you think back to 2018, that was pretty close to presidential level turnout for us. And I think given the energy that we've seen uh, ahead of this election, both on you know, the political front in terms of what's at stake politically, but also in reaction to news developments that have changed people's lives, including uh, obviously the returning of Roe v. Wade. There are sort of a lot of factors where we, we don't really know who's going to try to turn out in this election. Will it be people who before maybe were living abroad and didn't want to do the work to try to vote by mail because they didn't feel invested enough in the election and this time they are, right? Like there, there is sort of an X factor in every election about who will turn out and what kind of voters will turn out. And I think going into this one more so than before, I think we, we really don't have a sense of what this electorate might look like and what are some of the, what, what their awareness of the election process might even be to begin with. Yeah, you know, there was a, a Quinnipiac poll that came out late last month that kind of blew me away. And, and, and uh, they asked the question of how people intend to vote and broke it down, you know, of course, absentee mail in person early in that kind of two week period before election day and in person on election day. And the breakdown, absentee mail, 64% pe- uh, of people said they would vote for O'Rourke compared to 36 for Abbott, in-person early, 53% O'Rourke, 46% Abbott, and in-person on election day, 75% Abbott, 22% O'Rourke, kind of a stunning like shift in the way that even like the way you vote kind of has, has changed. You know, I don't know, I'm, part of me is like somewhat skeptical of that, you know, that, that I don't, think, I mean, Alexa, you've covered a lot of elections. We, we haven't seen that big of kind of a swing on, on election day totals, but um, I found that to be just, uh, you know, kind of, kind of blew me away, especially when we considered that, you know, generally people who vote by mail vote, you know, tend to be older. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I think you also have to consider the amount of mistrust Republican officials whose vote, whose you know, primary or main base of voters tend to be older, have kind of sewed into the vote by mail process, right? We saw that in the 2020 election where some of the folks, Republican officials who themselves had voted by mail before were kind of doubting the integrity of that system, even though they weren't pointing to any real evidence for that doubt. But they were also still sending out applications to vote by mail to their to their list of voters that they wanted to turn out. Uh, you know, I think I think the general takeaway here is that we really don't know voting behavior. It's hard to sort of determine regular voting behavior in a state like Texas because our elector is changing every single day. Right. We we are a very young state. There are thousands and thousands of Texas Texans turning 18 every year. There are thousands and thousands of people moving here every year. And these folks are new to the Texas election process. And so to try to kind of base assumptions on behavior on, on the past when maybe the electorate wasn't changing as much maybe seems like a like a bad idea if you're trying to predict any sort of outcomes here. Not that we really should be predicting most outcomes related to elections. Indeed. I mean, you know, one of the things that really made me think about that, if that's true, like, and like I said, I had a little bit of skepticism on that. There, there could be a very interesting election night where if we're seeing early returns coming in, 
possibly painting a very different picture than what the, the final numbers could be in, in a very interesting way as well. Um, all right, I want to talk a little bit about that skepticism. Um, but first, Alexa, just really quickly, what do people need to know in order to, to make sure their vote is counted this year? Uh, my number one thing that I always tell people is vote early not just for yourself, but for people who might have fewer opportunities to be able to go out and vote. You can ensure that other people's votes can be counted by lessening the lines that people might confront when they try to go out. Um, give yourself as much time, if you're voting by mail in particular, give yourself as much, much time as you can to return your mail-in ballot so you have time to make any corrections if necessary. And you know, make sure you're checking your county's website before going out to vote. If you are, if you know, for some people you might drive to work and see a bunch of polling places, and that's fine. You can stop at any of them. But we know, you know, for folks living in rural communities, folks living in other places where polling places might not just be on your route to work. Uh, try to if if you don't if you want to avoid showing up and not being able to vote a specific place, make sure you check your website. But the 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 like main message though is that. You know, for for a lot of voters, the voting process isn't changing much, right? The what we saw in Senate Bill One was a restructuring and restricting of the options election officials can give to people. There are some changes to uh, the process of vote counting that we are waiting to see in terms of, you know, the AG had a recent ruling about how many, how long ballots had to be kept. So some of these changes are, are more administrative and the voters themselves won't see it. Of course, if you're a voter in Harris County who voted at midnight last time when you got out of your shift, that, that's no longer available. Um, but because we, we the all, state took away 24 hour because, voting. Because yeah. the state took away the option for counties to do right. 24 hour voting. Right. Uh, but really what you want to do if you're a voter in Texas is give yourself time. Uh, don't try to not wait until 5 p.m. on election day to vote because given the missteps we've seen in previous years, uh, you might be putting your vote at risk, unfortunately. Yeah, Alexa, you know, don't procrastinate. It's not is not the best advice for me. I'm not sure if I can live up to that or not, but we'll, I'll, I'll try my best. Uh, all right, let's pause for a minute and hear from our sponsors. Episcopal Health Foundation. A large majority of Texans support Medicaid expansion and say it's very important for candidates to address issues that make health care more affordable. Those are just some of the results of a new statewide Episcopal Health Foundation health policy poll on health care access and affordability in Texas. Read more at episcopalhealth.com. Org. And CityCast Houston is the daily podcast with a local conversation you don't want to miss. Hosted by longtime Houstonian Lisa Gray. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so Pooja, we talked a little bit about the, the challenges facing election workers, but there was something that really stood out to me in your story, particularly what we heard from Todd Stallings, the voting official in Nacogdoches County, where he talked about working his 12 to 16 hour days, but late, you know, just because it's a very busy job to run elections in a county. But then he talked about how lately his days are getting even longer as he quote, is hustling to respond from activists across the country, Los Angeles, New York, New Jersey, who are asking for ballot images from November 2022. And you, you quote him saying that basically he and his colleagues are usually doing customer service until 5 p.m. 
and then at which point they can start on doing the actual administrative and planning duties around the election, which is just kind of, you know, sounds like a terrible work life situation there. But I mean, you know, what we're talking about here is just what election officials hearing from people, not just their constituents, but from all over the place, you know, responding to these concerns, these, these uh, falsehoods about the election integrity, right? Yeah, you know, um, I think all election officials are just seeing um, a new level of scrutiny from the public, whether it be their own constituents or in, in Todd's case, and this was echoed by other election administrators, people from across the United States just sending, blasting out emails asking um, to see the ballots from 2020, um, submitting public information requests. Um, and, you know, in one county, they told me that they're looking to hire someone whose sole job is going to be filling public information requests related to the ballots related to elections. So this is just an added responsibility that, um, you know, and, and everyone I talked to said, you know, they are, they are happy to fill those requests. They see that as part of their job, but it's just um, keeping up with all those requests on top of their normal duties, which tend to pick up in the weeks leading up to the election is just getting um, extremely difficult. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And you know, you also mentioned you mentioned the, the county that's hiring um, a part-time worker. You also talked to someone in Williamson County, the elections office. You know, talking about filing more public information requests this year than in the previous six years combined is you know yeah. uh, quite a number there. Rob, part of this could be because our state leaders have been in a lot of ways promoting these these doubts and, and concerns here and, and and you had a story about this this week about about 2000 mules tell us a little bit about the promotion going on from our our state leaders here sure so 2000 mules is a um film by dinesh d'souza who uh is you know a, a longtime gop political operative um and basically the film kind of centers around these claims of what he refers to as mules um, based on cell phone data that this Texas group, uh, True the Vote, bought that kind of geolocates cell phones. And their claim, which has been debunked, you know, ad nauseum by experts and pretty much, you know, a, a, a whole host of experts and, and other people, um, is kind of that, you know, these mules, as they refer to them, were moving ballots or something from nonprofits that are unnamed in the documentary to various drop-off voting locations and a bunch of other nefarious and unfounded claims of, of, a, of a widespread conspiracy. And, you know, what we reported this week was that um, pretty much, you know, the top top Republican brass in the state, save for Greg Abbott, who we couldn't find any connection to it, um, had all either, you know, screened it, their offices had or had endorsed it. Um, you know, the the big one of the big news items out of the last week was that uh, Paxton's office had held a screening of it, which was kind of the, um, you know, which is kind of what prompted our reporting on it. And we found that Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick had endorsed it along with three other Houston area lawmakers at a church in June. Um, that was at least one of two cases in which we found that a church was hosting it with um, buy-in from a Republican elected official. And then in June, Sid Miller, Agricultural Commissioner, Agriculture Commissioner 
Sid Miller um, was featured at an event by the um, Dallas Jewish Conservatives Group uh, that also featured Sidney Powell, who is a longtime Trump ally and lawyer who recently was reprimanded by the State Bar of Texas for um, filing a lawsuit with unfounded claims of voter fraud. And Powell has also been, you know, in, currently entangled in a, I believe, $1.3 billion defamation lawsuit filed by one of the voting systems that she and other conspiracists have targeted with their, again, very unfounded theories of widespread voter fraud. So it, it does seem like, you know, um, and, and, and as you mentioned earlier, that there was the showing of it at the GOP convention earlier this summer, at which Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick also called for more stringent voting or uh, criminal, criminal penalties for voter fraud and delegates there actually codified it into their official platform that the 2020 election was stolen. So it does seem kind of, seem kind of like, you know, they are promoting this or um, at best uh, kind of, you know, giving oxygen to the film while not outright endorsing it, but certainly not going out of their way to uh, to criticize or do you know their own research into its claims, which again have been repeatedly debunked. So yeah, you know, I I, I saw um, I think it was the Washington Post that that reached out to a bunch of people across the country, including Greg Abbott, would they accept the results in their state if it you know um, if they were to lose uh, Greg Abbott said yes he would. You know, I don't know if that's going out on too much of a limb, given that I think most of us think he's 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 the favorite to do so. But it is this interesting kind of balance that they are striking. And of course, they, you know, want people to trust the results that put them in power. But this is such a strong undercurrent in the Republican Party that that, you know, nodding to it, stoking it in, in some ways is is an effective political strategy for for these candidates as well. Yeah, and and I think you know it, even even if it you know even if it doesn't have official buy-in from the highest echelons of the Republican Party in in Texas, or you know if if they're taking kind of hands-off approach on it, it does feed into this broader conspiracy that really you know is not by any any means new, especially in Texas. I mean, this is probably the most concerted effort we've seen to kind of spread it, but, you know, this dates back to, you know, decades. And, and again, it is kind of worth pausing here and talking about how exceedingly rare voter fraud is. I mean, on the attorney general's own website, they, they tout their stats on voter fraud prosecution. And I believe it's something like 140 people um, prosecuted for uh, 534 electoral fraud crimes since 2005. So we did for this story this week, this week, just did the math on that for just the 2020 election. And it's something like point or 0.0048% of all the votes cast just in 2020. So if you, you know, zoom that out for all elections held in Texas over the last 17 years, it's literally a, an infinitesimally small number, a, a rounding error's worth. And the fact that these offices are, you know, screening a film like this while at the same time touting numbers that kind of contradict the very essence of the idea of widespread voter fraud, I think has really concerned a lot of voting rights groups who see this film and the conspiracies that undergird it as kind of potentially a pretext for more, even more restrictive laws uh, coming down the pipeline in the future. So, yeah. So it's, it's important to know just because of, of the claims made in these sort of, um, uh, works that I don't even know how to describe them that are being touted by Republican officials, including the attorney general who's, who has wanted his office to enforce 
the Texas election code, which does not allow for mail-in ballot drop-off boxes. Like this does not exist in Texas. And if you are returning a mail-in ballot in person, you can only return your own and you have to provide a valid form of ID in order to do that and present that to an election worker. So, I mean, I, I think in terms of just like the, the dissonance here between these claims and kind of reality, we can't ignore the fact that it's also being shared by folks who, if they looked at their own election code, would realize that the things that are being purported falsely in these sort of videos actually can't even occur in Texas because of these things that they have written into our state laws around elections. And 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 one you know one other thing I think is worth mentioning is just the the I think connections between the uh, Paxton's office in particular and some of these groups. I mean, uh, there was a story in Reveal News over the summer that found you know close ties between his office and True the Vote, which is the Houston-based organization that kind of provided a lot of the fodder for this film. Um, and at one point, I believe in 2016, Paxton even kind of advocate advocated on behalf of. Uh, True the Vote's founder when the Supreme Court was looking into what they believed was overt political, um, you know, operations through her, what was then her nonprofit at the time. And so, you know, it, and even looking at, you know, Dinesh D'Souza, the, the, the man behind this film has, has, was pled guilty in 2014 for campaign finance fraud and was um, later pardoned by Trump. And then, you know, even this year, um, Salem Media Group, who is the Irving-based um, publisher behind the film that's promoting the film, had to kind of pull back their third quarter revenue expectations because his book, based on the film, had to be recalled because of a serious factual error. So um, the, the, there are many, many errors, and the, the fact that this is kind of this documentary or film, whatever you want to call it, is providing oxygen to um, just some baseless conspiracy theories is, I think, um, understandably concerned a lot of people. Yeah, and then you see that playing out. I mean, we, we've had a story in, in recent months about the, the entire staff, election staff of Gillespie County resigning and, and digging deeper into that um, about how this was uh, harassment and concerns of fraud related to an election over removing fluoride from the water, which um, anyone who has covered local government uh, in the last 20 years knows that pretty much every city has some people who think that, you know, fluoride is a, you know, government or some other conspiracy to, you know, corrupt the brains of America's youth and, and people. And to see that the, the, that group now kind of emerging and, and leading to the entire resignation. I mean, another moment that just kind of made me just kind of you know, it's, it, you'd almost laugh if it was if it wasn't so serious about uh, when in San Marcos, our, our Secretary of State, John Scott, joined a public testing of voting machines and was kind of shouted down by a group of activists. And these activists are shouting in, in some ways about how, um, you know, why aren't our election systems more like France, which is, you know, France, you know, 20 years ago, the, uh, the the conservative right was you know saying we couldn't uh, we couldn't call French fries French fries anymore because they were so mad at France and now we're we're you know making these comparisons and and John Scott of course is was an attorney who briefly was involved in Trump's challenging of the election results so they're kind of you know in some ways the 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 people on the right kind of going after their own in this and, and the way that this kind of denialism has taken on a life of its own and the real life consequences is um, 
it's pretty amazing to watch. I think, you know, just not, not to focus totally on the 2000 Mules film, but again, it's kind of worth, worth mentioning um, that, you know, one of the main proponents of this film and one of the, the websites that's actually been cited by a number of county level Republican parties for their screenings is this site called the Epoch Times, which is a site that was set up by a, uh, a, a man with close ties to this um, far right spiritual movement that has been, you know, heavily criticized for a, a whole host of reasons. And that website you know, promotes QAnon conspiracies, anti-vax conspiracies, you know, just apocalyptic end of the world conspiracies. And Dinesh D'Souza since 2020 has written 50 plus articles for that website. And so what we're kind of seeing is like the merging of this ecosystem of conspiracies that, you know, until a few years ago kind of just existed on the far corners of the internet. And we're seeing the melding of that world with just you know, mainstream Republican party politics, unfortunately, in a lot of cases. And I think that's where, you know, this, this, you're seeing actors who five, 10 years ago were, were, you know, uh, to, to the, to the right of Alex Jones, as far as uh, what they believed about, you know, some of these ridiculous conspiracies and now they've kind of been given a platform or are doing the platforming themselves to mainstream figures yeah you know and i'm going to be that guy for just a second because um i'm reading the book how democracies die right now which um, and i know anyone who ever reads that book immediately has to talk to everyone around them about that book so i, I will i will take on that right now but one thing they really this is written by a couple of uh, historians political scientists who who look back at kind of areas, you know, countries that were democracies that moved into, you know, authoritarianism or other kind of regimes. And one of the things they talk about in that book is, um, you know, mainstream parties giving, um, uh, uh, giving, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, giving a space for, maybe not necessarily embracing, but at least bringing into the fold enough uh, fringe elements that um, that that in the past were kind of set aside and and maybe not fully embracing them, maybe not especially believing what they're believing, but out of convenience, kind of taking them on. But once you do that, legitimacy is the word I was looking for, giving them legitimacy. And once you carry them into the fuller conversation, those things can kind of get out of control. And you see, you know, people who are in those democracies that that suddenly were not democracies later expressing regret about those decisions and about those actions and you know to, to hear those conversations to hear about those fringe elements that are now being somewhat legitimized somewhat brought into the mainstream by one of the parties is definitely a um uh, a concerning thing to think about so well and it's important to note that it doesn't just stop within the confines of or membership of a political party right like the the folks who are victims of misinformation may become the folks that are drowning election offices with open records requests while they're trying to prepare for an election. They might also become the people who can become appointed to be poll watchers who under SB1 were also given, you know, close to full reign in, in a polling place and given access to stand much closer to even voters while they're filling out their their ballots at the polling at the polling place. So I mean none of these things exist in a vacuum. I think that's what's clear. And the idea of allowing someone to become part of the mainstream isn't just limited to the GOP convention or uh, their individual votes, but rather sort of these larger systems that are meant to uphold our voting process and, and our democracy. 
All right. Well, on that note, I think that's all the time we have for today. So thank you, Alexa, Rob, and Pooja. Thank you to Justin, our producer, and thank you to our sponsors, Methodist Healthcare Ministries of South Texas, Texas Women's University, the Episcopal Health Foundation, and CityCast Houston. Talk to y'all next week. Do I have to talk to you?